With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. The international break is over and it's now domestic action all the way through to mid-November and the start of the Winter World Cup and it's the time when Manchester City often put something of a run together. This weekend would be an opportune time to start that too as Pep Guardiola's side welcome Manchester United to the Etihad for the first derby of the season. We'll preview that on this week's Blue Moon podcast plus we'll hear from some of the scorers from home derbies that City have won in years gone by. Years where City weren't the superpower that they are today. And we'll get a United perspective on the game from Jay Mosseshead from the Stratford Paddock YouTube channel. The Champions League returns this week too in a relentless schedule that sees City host FC Copenhagen. We'll find out what to expect from the Danish side as we hear from David Bastian Muller, who is part of the Copenhagen Sundays podcast, all about Wednesday's opponents. All of that to come, so let's introduce this week's guests. I'm David Mooney. With me is One Football's Dan Burke. Hello, David. And City fan Adam Monk. Hello. So uh, let's uh, crack straight on with uh, this weekend's Manchester derby. Um, Dan, City back in action. Um, coming off the international break, how how do you feel going into such a like a, a, a tough? I, I say tough game in the sense of it is the Manchester derby. Um, straight after a, after a, a, a nice break in momentum that comes in the international break. Yeah, it's a weird one, really. You'd, you'd ideally suppose want a, a sort of slightly straightforward home game coming coming back after this. You know, the players will have been away for a couple of weeks, the vast majority of them. Um, they'll be coming back late this week. Uh, I think they're just back in training today. I just saw some footage before we started recording of them, a few of them back in training. So um, Guardiola won't have a great deal of time to work on the game plan with with them, really, and uh, that's not, not ideal preparation, but... I don't know, it might be one of those where they just come in and the kind of muscle memory kicks in and it's a derby, you know, the crowd are going to be well up for it, the players are going to be well up for it, it's going to be a, a big afternoon, a big occasion, so it might be one of those where uh, we just see a, a big performance uh, and they just immediately blow away the cobwebs, I certainly hope so anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it, Adam, muscle memory is is, is a thing and, you know, Guardiola's been in charge of these players for, for so long now, you'd think that, that he doesn't really need to say anything to them, just go out there and play your game. Yeah, I guess, and I think with the derby, it's sort of um, it is an even playing field. So I think regardless, I think if you can't get yourself up for a derby game, then what game can you get yourself up for? You know, so it's one of them where like both teams are going to go into it. I think uh, with their approach, their game plan, and it, you know, it's one of them we've seen the history of the fixture, particularly at the Etihad in the last couple of years, where like spanners can be thrown in the works, anything can happen, and I think the players will be wary of that. So I'd like to think, even though there has been an international break, I don't think there'll have been any break in the routine that we were having prior to it. And I think we'll hopefully continue where we left off. Yeah, I was going to say though, Dan, that like a momentum break like the international uh, window, like it, it, it might not actually be a problem because it's a derby and all that kind of momentum stuff goes out the window anyway, doesn't it? The old form bot going out the window, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, 
I guess at this stage of the season, the players are used to a bit of the break of momentum. You know, there's usually a couple of, I think there's usually three international breaks in the first half of the season, isn't it, before Christmas? Obviously, it's a bit different this year with the World Cup. So it's something that they're kind of accustomed to. Obviously, there was a strange situation with the Queen dying and and matches being postponed. But, you know, if anyone should be worried about a lack of momentum, it's United, really. They've not played for nearly a month. Uh, You know, they played in the the Premier League anyway. They played in the Europa League, um, basically had had a kicker about in Moldova or wherever it was um, so it's not really good preparation for them I think like you, we might have got a good hint as, as to how the uh, how Ten Hag is going to line United up in that game but they've not really had much of a warm-up for this really whereas you know at least City played Wolves before the international break and, and got that good result and a, and a bit of confidence and you know were unbeaten going into the game and you know the ball is very much in City's court it feels like so yeah I, I think it will be a case of you know the form going out the window a little bit in derbies, and I think it's going to be a tough game for City this weekend. Certainly, a lot tougher than it was when we played United last time. But um, I don't think momentum is going to be. It's not something that that we should worry about anyway, or certainly not as much as them. Yeah. Right, well, let's take a trip down memory lane to begin with on this week's show. The tables have turned in the Manchester derby recently. There's been plenty of people listening to this week's show that don't remember a time where City would go into the game as underdogs. And that makes me feel old. Um, in a bid to make <laughs> us feel less old, we sent Dan on a trip down memory lane. He's been digging through the podcast's interview archives to hear some of the scorers from home Manchester derbies that City, perhaps a little unexpectedly, won in days before the club was as successful as it is today. If that introduction to this item made you feel old, then let's see if we can't make you feel even older. That's because the first Manchester Derby win we're going to look back on happened when I was just under two years old. It's the Demolition Derby at Main Road in 1989. City went in as underdogs and emerged as 5-1 winners. Ian Bishop was in the team. You never believe you're going to get your arse kicked, to be honest with you. You're never, you're never going to believe that you're going to go and trounce them 5-1, neither. You know, it was a case of we were a young team, they were a team full of superstars, and it, it fires you up, I mean... Uh, to stop and think about it now, I'd probably get the same feelings in my stomach as I did before the game. That day will never go away. It's it's one of them things. It's you look around and and when you come back to the club, which I haven't done very often, you know people are still talking about it, like you asking me the question now. But it was a part of my life, a part of the club's history. And I'm just proud to be a part of this club's history. David Oldfield scored the first, then Trevor Morley made it 2-0. Before half-time, Bishop scored the third. I remember when Stevie Redmond broke the attack up on the edge of our box, and I was more or less standing next to him. And I think it was Paul Ince at the time. He was one of their big signs. I think he was he was there alongside me, and he just didn't track me, which I must have deceived him with me, with me pace. Uh, he probably didn't realise somebody could run that slow. I just, the way it panned out seeing Dave Oldfield and it could have just it could have never happened if Gary Pallister would have got more of a touch on it you know if David had chipped it to the back post and I remember Trevor he was behind me coming he, he was going to have a go at me because I didn't leave it for him Bishop headed it past Jim Layton in the United goal his first goal for City I just threw myself at it I knew that I just thought it's there it's there I'm going to have to die for this one and I don't know what's going to happen afterwards because I ended up sliding upside down and Jim Layton was coming out I don't know whether it's feet first or whatever, but I didn't see it go in. I don't know if you, you recall, if you look at the video, the Betamax, whatever it was, in black and white. That once it's, I've heard the roar, I've sort of looked up and tried to look where the ball was, and then it was like a delay before I started running away, you know. Mark Hughes pulled one back for United just after half-time before Oldfield got his second, and defender Andy Hinchcliffe rounded off the scoring with the fifth. 
That would be the last time City beat United for 13 years. The next win came in what would be the final time the teams met at Main Road. Nicholas Anelka scored City's first goal that day. Yeah, it was amazing because you know when you when you sign for for City, you know there's one game uh, and you cannot uh, miss. Uh, and uh, you know it's going to be hard. And it was uh, a special day because it's something I will never forget. Because I, I saw in you know City eyes the fans. They were like so happy to. Uh, First to score against uh, United, but to win because the most important at the end it was not me to score, it was to win against United, and uh, it's something I will never forget. He beat Rio Ferdinand for pace to get to the ball first, and after Sean Gota's shot was parried by Fabian Bartes, Anelka smacked in the rebound. It's like a final. You know, when you when you speak to people, you are a true uh, uh, City player when you score against United, and when you win, it's even more. So it was. We know. We knew it was. Uh, I knew it was like. A, a big game, a hard game, tough game, but uh, at the end it was very good because we won and they scored. The game also saw Sean Gota's 99th and 100th goals for City. The girls, I thought, were, were good girls because uh, I think one over Bartes is a World Cup winning goalkeeper, so um, took a lot of joy in that. And uh, the City fans, obviously, the girl, the girl they love, and I think I've equally come to love as much. Is uh, the, the one that never, never fed me, um, and it was a great, it was a great ball by him as well. Anelka and Gota wrote themselves into City's history by scoring the goals that won the final Manchester derby at Main Road. Four players did the same the first time United visited the City of Manchester Stadium. One of them was John Macken. I just remember all of it. I remember the build-up to it. I remember obviously being the first game. Everyone was uh, excited and it was a big, uh, a big deal at the time. And obviously we managed to give me the nod that I was playing it. And then once again, luckily enough, got the, the second goal. I suppose I like to think the important goal that won the game, <laughs> but we won 4-1, didn't we? So it was a, no, it was a fantastic performance. It was a, it was a real good performance. That. Robbie Fowler had scored the first before Macken made it 2-0. You go in with belief. You know, it's your first game. You, you know, it's a derby. Derbies are always going to be exciting, kind of like a cup game, really. You know, because it's uh, you want to go and you want to do well, and you you know you want to get one over on your rivals, and, that, and that's what we did. And you know, fortunately, we was a better side on the day. You know, all over the pitch, and you know, we the, the scoreline reflects that. I suppose Macken was also an United youth player. It's always nice, you know, you, you don't tend to play well, you know, when you play your own teams, you want to go and you want to you know, put in a good performance because you want to show them what, you know, they're, you know, they're missing, so to speak, or not missing, but what, you know, what you could have done for them, so, and uh, when, you, when you get your goal and, you know, you enjoy it in your own little way. The third goal of that 4-1 win was also pretty special for the scorer. Trevor Sinclair grew up a City fan. It was a dream come true that, I have to say, it was uh, an ambition that I'd had from a kid. And you know, Manchester United were very successful when I was growing up and for, for the majority of my career. And um, you know, I'd always dreamed about scoring a goal against them, and, uh, especially in the light blue Man City. So yeah, to envisage that and to realise that, it was, it was an amazing feeling. He came on as a half-time sub and ended up making a big impact. I wasn't having a great time at City at the time. My form wasn't good and I was struggling to get into the side. And, Team were quite playing quite well, and it was all a bit of a struggle. And I remember Steve, Mc, I think it was Steve McManaman and uh, Claudio Reyna come off as subs at half time, and, and Kevin went, "You coming on?" And I just remember going to the toilet. I'm not really a religious person, but I went to the toilet and I prayed. Just give me one 45 minutes um, of a good performance, and obviously went back out there. I think they got a goal back to make it 2-1, and then I scored to make it 3-1 and open that two-two goal cushion up. So yeah, I was delighted to score that. 
own it first and only time I've ever took my shirt off celebrating a goal and it, I think it just shown the emotion that was involved. But the goal fans might remember most was the one that crowned it all off. Sean Wright Phillips scored a cracker in stoppage time after picking up possession wide on the right. Well to be honest I actually thought the ball was going to roll out so like I was kind of jogging at first and then when I realised it was going to stay in I just thought um, let me just go on a run here and maybe we can get something from here but when I got to the box it was Nobody really in there, so I thought if I if I get half a yard and get a nice connection, possibly I could cause a problem. But it happened to fly in the top corner. His celebration is one of the most memorable too. He told the podcast why he ended up doing the robot dance. Well, I was with my cousin at a family event, and um, there was some people doing some strange dances in there, and one of the people, family members was doing that dance. So I said to him, if I, if I, when I score my next goal, I said to him, I'll. I'll do that for you. He said, yeah, right, whatever. So I thought, at first I wasn't actually going to do it, but I thought I promised him, so I just got out. I felt pretty embarrassed after it, though. One of the players who scored in that 4-1 win also found the net the next time City beat United at Eastlands too. It was a couple of seasons later, and City, now with Stuart Pearce as the manager, hosted United in January 2006. It was Trevor Sinclair that opened the scoring in a 3-1 win. It was a game that you didn't really have to um, get me up for. It was always, um, listen, you know, as a Mank, you always want to do well against your rivals. You see it against clubs where you've been released or where they've you know, let you go or whatever and you think you want to prove something. Man United was always that for me and um, yeah, I seem to always raise the game against them. Ever since then, City have had a pretty good record at home against United. Following takeovers by first Taksin Shinawatra and then Sheikh Mansour, the team often pulled off a result against their neighbours, especially at Eastlands. Now City tend to go into the derby as favourites for the three points. But back when these players were scoring winning goals in this fixture, that had always been something of a pipe dream. Hi, this is Sean Gooder, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was a look back at some of City's uh, previous derby goals. Um, Adam, I'm very scared now that you're going to make me feel even older, but what was the, what was the <laughs> first uh, City goal in a derby that you saw in the flesh? Oh, God, let me cast my mind back. So, thing is, so I had, I had been to, I have probably seen derby goals back in like the Stuart Pearce era, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. But I can't. It must have. Was I at the Giovanni game? Right, the first one that I remember. Let's just go through memory. Was probably the League Cup first leg semi final in two thousand and well, it was January twenty ten. You think Tevez scored that penalty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I had been to ones prior to that, but it's it's all a bit of a haze. So I'm sure I've seen derby goals before that, but I can't remember exactly which ones. First one I clearly remember has to be that Tevez one. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You know what scared me with all of this, Dan. The first City goal I remember seeing in the flesh in a derby um, was scored by Nicholas and Elka. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Kids these days don't know the born, do they? Yeah. <laughs> well, as I as I mentioned in the package there, like I was I was under two years old when when City beat United five one, the, the famous five one. So I have no recollection of that, even though I was alive for it. And you know, I'd seen video footage of it growing up. You know, my dad showed it me, and it was like the sort of the elders of the community would say, "Look, we did used to beat United once, you know." But uh, it was it was just like an alien concept to us as kids, wasn't it? Really, until that that last derby at Main Road in uh, in two thousand and two. 
And uh, it, it was just, I remember seeing that, you know, going to that game and, and getting there really early. And um, I'd actually been to the derby the two years previously when we got relegated under Joe Royal when David Beckham scored the free kick. Yeah, Nin- you know, 90 had, seconds and, they, and it killed us off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Still hadn't seen a score a goal at this point. So I remember getting to Main Road really early for that last last one at Main Road and, uh, you know, just, just trying to soak it all in and just being really nervous and, and, uh, and, and having great anticipation for the game. And then City went, one nil up after five minutes, and it was mind blowing. Like, oh my god, we're, we're beating United! Like, this actually might happen today. And then United equalised straight away, and you're thinking, oh god, it's it's, <laughs> it's uh, starting yeah. business, business as usual kind of thing. And then you know, probably my favourite ever derby goal is uh, is the the second goal of that game. Sean Gota robbing Gary Gary Neville. I mean, I fucking hated Gary Neville back in those days. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of his now, to be perfectly honest. But um, I've certainly warmed to him a lot more than in those days. So you know, that was a wonderful moment to see him. Uh, uh, get his get his comeuppance, and uh, I always remember him walking back to the halfway line and spitting, and the the wind blowing the spit back into his face. That was yeah. a, a nice little <laughs> metaphor for the day, really. Yeah, yeah. the uh, my favorite, weirdly, my favorite goals uh, go to hundredth, the second one in that mm, game. Uh, great because, goal, yeah. Uh, the Berkovic assist for that is yeah. it's it's off the scale cool. That's how that's how good that ball was through to him. And mm. then I mean, Goat's finish is, is pretty nice over Bartes as well. Um, Adam, I, I'm conscious that when I say what are your favourite Derby goals from your childhood, like you're talking, you're one of these people that doesn't have a memory of uh, of, of the, the the sorts of goals that me and Dan think of. So, like, what when you when you think back to like, if you had to nail like your favourite Derby goals from when you were at school, which ones would you pick? Oh, from when I was at school. Um... Probably all six in the six one. To be honest, yeah. that was just the best day. Like it, it don't get much better than that, does it? I don't think. Like even though we had the company one that season, I just think the comedic value that came with the six at Old Trafford just outweighed anything I've ever seen. So probably that. Um, I also one that I really love as well is like uh, I think yeah I was in year ten when this happened. So like it's the one where we beat when Moyes came to the Etihad and Aguero sort of scored that volley where the ball was behind him and he sort of redirected the the flight of the ball and he you know the one where he guided it past De Gea yeah, from a yeah. collar off cross that one really like that one as well really so they were a few where I've uh, been in school but then all the ones all the ones since school have sort of been the pep era really yeah. which is crazy to think so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dan for, for me and you like when, when I say derby goals through school the only ones we scored while I was at school were um, the three in that uh, three one at Main Road and um, go to equaliser at Old Trafford that season as well Um Oh, actually, no. We were in school for the four-one. We were in school for the four-one. Yeah, I forgot about that. So, like the the, the four-one was a was a good day as well. Mm. Um, and obviously, I think I think uh, did they get a one-one at Old Trafford that season? Or did they get beat at Old Trafford that season? I, can't remember. I think they got they played them twice at Old Trafford that year and got beat both times. They played them in the FA Cup as well. Oh yeah, they? I went to the FA Cup because McManaman got Neville sent off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for uh, for not really a, a not the strongest of headbutts, but he went it down was like, like four, a four-two yeah. the FA Cup game or something mad was it? Because I remember there was it was after the Spurs four three and there was a point where it looked like we might have a comeback on the cards but uh, sadly was not to be yeah wasn't to be any any others uh, that you would mention from uh, from your growing up down that that really stand out to you uh i mean the first win at old trafford in however many years it was what was it 30 odd years or something yeah um that was again a mind-blowing concept and i never thought i would see it. it was when at old trafford growing up it just seemed beyond the realms of possibility basically and and the whole circumstances around that game with it being the 50th anniversary of the munich air disaster all the 
talk that the City fans were going to spoil them in its silence. Um, you know, the, the special kits they were wearing, the occasion and all that kind of thing. I remember go, walk, I actually watched that in a pub and walk into the pub with mates and one of my mates going, we're going to absolutely thrash you today. And I was like, yeah, I think you're probably right, to be honest. <laughs> and then, you know, Benjani scores on his debut, Derives for Sell scores. And that was just like, that, that's one of my favourite ever days as a City fan because I just never thought I would see it happen. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That brings us to this weekend, Adam. Um, and City's record at home in the derby under Guardiola um, isn't the greatest. It's played 7-1-2, drawn 1, lost 4. Um why do you think that is? Why does why do Guardiola's City, especially when, despite how good they are, struggle so much against a, a clearly inferior United side? I actually don't really know. I think one of the only plausible explanations, one of the only logical ways of thinking about it, is that he was just trying to keep Solskjaer in a job for longer. Like that's, <laughs> I thought you were going to say yeah. like witchcraft or something. Yeah. <laughs> the only logical well, explanation is witchcraft. <laughs> but like you know, well, I think like I think back. I mean, one of them was the second leg of a League Cup game where we would already. We were 3-1 up, I think, and we lost that 1-1-0. So if that counts, not sure if it really does. And then in the same season, we weren't at the races. I think we lost 2-1 in the same season. So that takes out two of them. And then you look at the one under Mourinho where we were 2-0 up. That seemed to be a capitulation that was circumstantial because the title was on the line. And I think complacency just kicked in. And that's something that was then sort of beyond Pep's reach. He couldn't really couldn't really help what was going on other than throw De Bruyne and Aguero on and hope for the best, you know. So that was one of those days. Plus, I mean, I mean, we should have won that game regardless. Um, and then what was the other one? Oh, yeah, the one in, in the lockdown season. So that was another one where, like, you know, we'd won the league. The title was sort of, it was already out of sight and it was a bit of a procession towards the end of the season. And we, you know, we just, we came unstuck. And uh, United got quite a few points in that season anyway and came second. So I think the ones that we have won, it's been where... There's still been a lot to play for, you know, and we've been at the races and, and you know, been the best version of a Pep Guardiola City side that we can be. Yeah. So, you know, you look at the 18-19 season, that was in the middle of the season where we were going toe-to-toe with Liverpool. Um, and then last, last season, year. Yeah. and then last year as well, obviously still, it was a similar situation with Liverpool where we had to win every game and uh, it just it was just, just so happened that United were also awful last year. So, you know... Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of them are circumstantial as to where we are in the season and what we're playing for. And I think on Sunday, it's one of them where it's early season, still everything to play for. We have no excuse to not be at the races. So I'd like to think that we'll, uh, we'll rectify that record a little bit. Yeah, Dan, do you expect the same sort of um, approach from United, sit back and try and hit City on the break? And if that's what they do, like, how does City stop them doing that? Is it, like, is it, is it just a case of you just need to make sure you manage these counter-attacks? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think probably one of the big reasons why they've had a decent record against us in recent years is that the kind of City's Achilles heel, like, you know, the, the way to beat City typically is to let them have the ball, to soak up pressure, hit them on the break. Now, Southampton trying to do that, for example, aren't going to do it very effectively, but the players that United have got can do it very effectively, and that, that has been the case in, in games recently. And and I thought that might change a little bit with Ten Hag coming in. You know, he, he's very much a coach in the, the Guardiola mould. He... 
he, he likes a possession style of football. He likes high pressing. And I think with him, that the first two results of the season for them, the, the defeat to Brighton and, and Brentford, sort of shocked him a little bit. Shocked him into kind of going back to basics. And if you look at their stats, like they beat Liverpool at home with 29% possession, um, scored goals on the counter-attack. They beat Arsenal at home with 39% possession. Again, scored goals on the counter-attack. Um, I, I looked at the, their XG is like, they've scored eight goals in the league and their XG is like 8.8. .8, so they're just being really clinical which is a bit of a worry uh, for City this weekend. <laughs> so but, right, that's, um, that, that's red flag central, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, the hope is that, that Guardiola is, is aware of this, I'm sure he is, and, and has thought of a way to counteract it. And that City are playing a bit more directly this season, you know, with Haaland up front, they're going to try and get the ball into him. And, and, and there's less of that kind of tippy-tappy football that United can just soak up and, and maybe we can sort of get balls into Haaland and, and score some goals. I mean, you know, it... it a lot of it depends, this this game plan that United might have on, on who scores the first goal. If City take an early lead, as they did in the derby last last season, um, all right, they, they got it back, but City then went ahead, ahead again. And I think if you look at Rangnick's game plan from that game, it was like bizarre, really. He played Pogba as a false nine. He tried to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with City, really, and they just we just battered them. And, and if they try that this time, we'll batter them again, I'd imagine. So I think um, I think Ten Hag will play a bit cautiously, um, but hopefully we've got a, a way to play around it. Yeah, I was going to say, Adam, I, I, I guess having Haaland up top changes the, the, the dynamic a little bit in that we've seen already this season, he, he's made goals out of nothing at times. So if United are trying to do the thing where they soak everything up, then he could just pop up out of nowhere and, and smash it in the net from six yards. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think the thing with United is, the thing that I've noticed over the last couple of seasons really with the defenders they've got is that they don't like chaos. They're not good at dealing with chaos. And you've sort of seen... I mean, the Brentford game maybe was so bad that it was a bit of an anomaly, but you, you see when balls get pumped into the box and then you've got, I mean, the Brighton game, which was the first game of the season, even players like Welbeck and Pascal Gross were causing them trouble just by getting into the box and, you know, putting bodies in there. Um, I think, yeah, with the goal threat that Haaland is, and the, like Dan said, we don't have to play tippy-tappy football anymore. We sort of can just put... We don't have to play the inch-perfect pass. We can put a ball in there and see what happens. And, you know, you look at that goal, Haaland scored against Dortmund. Ball comes in, it's not even a half chance and he still scores in, in ridiculous fashion. So the United defenders will be wary of that. And I think, that, I think the thing with United defenders over the last few seasons we've seen, all right, they've kept a few clean sheets recently, but they seem they have communication issues. And I think if we're constantly asking the question of them, eventually... You know, uh, I, I think they won't have an answer, and I think it's it's an it's an inevitability. I think that Haaland's going to score because uh, of the player he is as well. You know, I think he'll be the type of lad that's that's up for this occasion. He'll be raring to go. He's a City fan as well, of course. So, yeah, I I, I think despite the result, I, I can't see a a world where Haaland doesn't score on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's check in with Jay Mosseshead from the Stratford Paddock YouTube channel to find out what the mood is in the red half of Manchester at the moment. Well, it's a bit of a difficult one because going into the sort of the well, we had, let's call it the break from from Premier League when we had that break. You know, we were on this great run, we've been on a great run, four Premier League wins. You know, some big wins in there as well. The one against Liverpool, at Old Trafford, Arsenal, at Old Trafford as well. You know, there's real confidence there. Then we've had a couple of Europa League games, Sheriff and um, Sociedad. We lost the Sociedad game, won the Sheriff game. But it's difficult to gauge just how sort of how much those games tell you because it was a slightly changed team, especially for the Sociedad game. Sheriff, a couple of changes, but a bit more like the, the sort of team you'd see in the Premier League. But one thing that concerns me a little bit is that whole thing about momentum and, and match practice and all that sort of stuff because we had that momentum going in the Premier League and now we've had this big break 
City have obviously been playing, like you said. You've had a, a tough game as well in the Champions League in that time as well. So it's just difficult to know where United are at because had this game come on the back of, say, say we'd played Crystal Palace and Leeds like we were meant to, and then it was City, I'd feel a lot more confident. But having a, an extended break, it does worry me a little bit because I feel like we might be a little bit rusty and you can't afford to be rusty against a team like Manchester City. Yeah, well, I mean, going right back to the start of the season, I know a lot of City fans were quite happy with uh, with United's start with losing against uh, Brighton and Brentford. Um, how how have things changed since then? What's uh, what's the manager done to change it up? Because you have been on a pretty decent run of form since then. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, you know, the Brighton game was was bad. The the Brentford game was beyond awful, as bad as I can remember. United seeing United for uh, well, <laughs> I was also going to say as bad as I can remember seeing United, but then I think back to the four 0 away at Brighton last season or the, the five 0 at home to, uh, to to Liverpool. So yeah, you know, we've had some pretty bad results. It felt like a Ralph Ragnick performance against Brentford. It really did. You know, a team that just didn't look up for it at all. Since then, Ten Hag has really got that sort of team spirit going. The game against Liverpool, we were sort of we were up for it. Straight from the, the kickoff, fighting for every ball, winning our individual battles. The, the crowd were behind the team as well, which is great to see. And also that little bit of quality, you know, they've brought in the likes of Lissandro Martinez, who's done well, Tyrell Malassia. Christian Eriksen has actually surprised me at how good he's been. I remember him at Spurs. I thought he was a decent player, a good player. I, I wasn't amazed by him, but I have been amazed by him recently in Manchester United. I just think he's been, he's been just sort of making us tick. And I wasn't expecting that. And he's also, you know, going back to your question about it tonight, he's been able to get the best out of certain players. Diogo Delo is looking better than ever. I've never seen him play this well in the United shirt. Marcus Rashford, especially against Arsenal, looks like the Marcus Rashford of, of a couple of seasons ago. And those are the kind of things that Eriksen Hag needed to do. He needed to bring in quality, which he's done, and get the best out of certain players. And in the last four Premier League games anyway, we've seen that. And obviously, you know, the big test of that will come at the Etihad. Yeah, I mean the other uh, the elephant in the room in all this as well is that he dropped Maguire. Um, what's what's the situation like there? Yeah, Maguire's probably been the, the most spoken about player for United over the last couple of weeks. Um, I felt, you know, it's, it's easy to hate on Maguire, and he got a lot of criticism. I think that if you look at those games we lost, the Brighton and the Brentford game, he wasn't that bad. <laughs> if you look at, at the team in general, Maguire, it's not like he was at fault for all the goals or anything like that. I think. Maguire sort of suffers from a little bit of being a symbol as a symbol, sorry, of what's gone wrong at United in terms of overspending and underachieving a little bit. But when Martinez come in, you could see the difference. And I think Martinez and Varane have formed a partnership. Martinez, especially, you know, he gets the team going. He's, you know, he's, he's geeing up his teammates, high fiving his teammates, hugging his teammates. Seems to have a good relationship with David De Gea. That seems to be a little bit lacking with Maguire. And now he's almost become like this bogeyman, Maguire, where everyone's like looking at him as the, the, the root of all evil. And it's not the case. Listen, Maguire, you know, you got it's easy to hate on him, but you've got to remember he came into the team. Yes, we overpaid for him. It's not his fault. He did help us finish third in his first season and second in his second season. Last season was a disaster for Manchester United across the board. And I don't think Maguire was any worse than, than some of his teammates. But this season, I think he suffered from the fact we've just had a better option in Lissandro Martinez, who's come in and just been playing better than Harry Maguire and had a better relationship with his teammates. And I think that's the short and long of why Harry Maguire's not been getting in the team lately. Yeah, I was going to say, in terms of that defensive partnership, I guess there's there's not much of a, of a sterner test than uh, Erling Haaland, because you'd have to assume that, uh, that he'd carry on playing for City in this game. Yeah, I mean, this is the one you dread in early Haaland's just on a different level, in it? I mean, a lot has been made out of um, Lissandro Martinez's height 
and how is he going to be able to cope with with Erling Haaland? I think he he did play against him in the Champions League and did a very good job against him when he was at Ajax and Haaland was at Dortmund. And also Haaland's not just a he's not a target man. He's not just someone you lump high balls into. He's actually you know he's great with his feet and you know it's not just about are you tall enough to tackle Erling Haaland. But we know how difficult that's going to be and you know whoever's marking him or whoever's got a deal with him is going to have the work cut out and that's going to be a real tough test. And you know part of me is. I know it sounds a bit perverse. Part of me is excited. I'm always excited when you play against the top teams and the top players. But I'm also, you know, I've got enough common sense to be worried. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must be honest with you, Jay. I was never when back in the day when you know when City used to come up against players like Van Nistelrooy and uh, and whatnot. I was never looking forward to it. It's uh, it's uh, I, I was never I was never in that camp. I must admit. Um, yeah, to be honest with you, I think you're right. I preferred the games when we used to play against likes of you know no disrespect to them, but you know Michelle Vonk and Mike Sheridan, <laughs> than Erling Haaland and uh, uh, and Ruben Diaz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, who if United are uh, are going to come to the Etihad and get a result? Who are the players? That'll do it. Do you think who's been uh, who's been on form going forward? Christian Eriksen has been probably our best player. I feel um, this season. He's just everything seems everything seems to come through him. Um, and like I said earlier, I've been pleasantly surprised by just how effective he's been. Um, Marcus Rashford, obviously, you know, he's up for a Player of the Month nomination. He's been back amongst the goals. He historically has, has done quite well against City. The Etihad. Uh, he, he likes City, doesn't he? He does. He's a big, you know, he's a he's a quick player. He's great on the counter attack. Passionate United fan as well from Manchester, so he knows what it means. So maybe Rashford and, and Eriksson could be the key, and also Bruno as well. Bruno's been um, been been having a, a good season so far. But I, I do feel like you have to look at our defence, and it, it, you know, for us to have any chance, we've got to be defensively resolute because you're coming up not just Erling Haaland it's easy to get caught up in the whole Hurling Haaland hype because he's doing so well but Manchester City you know they're not just about one player they bought in the summer you've got so many effective attacking players that that's the really scary thing yeah um obviously the uh, the transfer window closed and um Cristiano Ronaldo didn't didn't move on and he's uh, the, the the relationship is still I'm not re- I'm not really sure the relationship with Ten Hag what what what's what's going on it just feels like there's sort of you know maybe a mutual respect there, that they're okay with each other. I think we have to give Ronaldo a bit of credit in the sense that, if you can call it credit, he's on about 350k a week. But he's not down tools. He's not fully thrown his toys out of pram. He is, you know, playing a role at Manchester United and he is giving his all. You know, you see him in the Europa League. You see him when he comes on as a substitute. You can't question his effort. Maybe you can look at the quality, you know, as it diminished a little bit. And is he still the Ronaldo that, that we've seen over the past few years? Probably not. But he's certainly putting in, you know, putting in the energy and the effort I think he's accepting of the role that Ericsson Hag is asking for him. Ericsson Hag set out his stall quite early with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, even when we had the likes of, well, you know, Anthony Martial's been out for most of the season. Cristiano Ronaldo still can't get in the team. You know, you've seen someone like Anthony Alanga getting picked ahead of him, which is almost unthinkable, but that's happened. And I think Ronaldo and, and Ericsson Hag do have to just sort of this this mutual respect and understanding. I don't think they're, you know, particularly great fondness for each other, but if Cristiano Ronaldo's prepared to, to play a, a fringe role at Manchester United and, and do it as, as as well as he is doing in the sense that, you know, he is an effective substitute, he is someone who can come in for these games when you need him, then I'm happy for it to continue and, and hopefully it can do without any dramas. Yeah, so uh, looking ahead to the, the game on Sunday, um, how, how do you feel going into it, given that, I mean... City under Guardiola generally win most games, but United they've, they've got a bit of a record of coming to to the Etihad under under whatever manager United have got facing a Guardiola side and, and doing pretty well. Yeah, it's it's a real anomaly 
our record at the Etihad. It's much better against City than our record at Old Trafford, because I think Old Trafford our record has been pretty almost woeful, not just in the league but in the in the cups as well. But at the Etihad, we have been able to to win a few games there, and I think a lot of it, even being brutally honest, has been a few smashing grabs and counter attacking football. And I'm not going to lie to you; I don't care how we get a win. We can get a win <laughs> counter attacking. We, you know, if it takes a VAR decision in the 93rd minute or whatever to give us a win, I'll take it. So I think that a lot of the time, the reason that we've been able to get a result is City have played that type of game that suits us in the sense that they've come at United and we've been able to counter attack. The problem you saw with last season was a great example of if you're not at the races defensively, if you can't soak up that pressure without conceding, you're going to get punished. And that's what happened last season. We weren't defensively sound. City just tore us apart. So I think that it suits us, City getting at us, but you've got to be, you know, everyone's got to be at the top of their game defensively. You can't afford to have, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a dodgy one because City have got the players there that will punish you. And we've seen that because when United have lost to City, it has been one of those games where it's just been completely one-sided. Yeah, so uh, money where your mouth this time. We've got the charity back coming up a bit later on. I uh, I like to give my prediction over to uh, our guests. So uh, what are you having for this one? I'm going to let my delusion get the better of me. I'm, I am, do you know what? I'm just going to go, I'll, I'll go with a, a 2-0 United win, which is, I know, I know that is <laughs> proper deluded to think United are going to get a clean sheet, at the against City, but why not? Let's go for it. Counter-attacking, we're going to do it. Eh? Bit of faith. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Jay Moss's head from the Stratford Paddock YouTube channel. Um, he talked about momentum there, Dan. Um, how beneficial do you think it actually is that City played in the last round when United didn't? Yeah, I mentioned it earlier. I don't think it matters too much because we both had that international break. We're both coming off the back of that. Um, you know, United's last result in the Premier League and the last result, you know, full stop in the Europa League as well. You know, they're on, they're on a bit of a winning run that confidence will be quite high with them. It's not like, you know, if we played them after the, the Brentford game when... Um, when they beat Liverpool and, you know, it was a frankly embarrassing result from Liverpool's point of view, whereas if City were to lose this weekend, you would say, well, United are on an upward trajectory, that they're playing quite well, um, you know, fair enough, that they're looking like quite quite a decent team at the moment. So, yeah, I think it's just going to be a case of uh, of who who's better on the day, really. I think United are a threat to City now and, and uh, you know, maybe not for the title, but I think they will give us a good game this weekend and uh, I just hope we're, we're the better side. Yeah, Adam, the run that City have been on this season, they've not lost yet. Um, it's it's uh, kind of, it's coming in patches though at the moment. It's 1-2, drawn 1, 1-2, drawn 1, 1-3 so far. Um, I guess now's the time to start making that 3 into a 4 and a 5 and a 6 and really putting a bit of a run together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
you know, we've done it so many times under Pep where it, it does just click into gear. We did it last season. It always seems to be around the winter period. Obviously, we've got that break of the World Cup, um, which is, again, a bit of an anomaly this season. But what I think we've always seen under Pep is he gets the team playing just at the peak of the powers throughout the winter period, which is deemed the toughest period a lot of the time. Um, so I think I think we've seen a bit of a pattern with this in Pep seasons. You know, last season, I'm sure we dropped a couple of you know, you could say needless points, but just points at the start of the season. You know, we lost to Tottenham last year early on. Season before that, I remember draws against like West Ham and, and Leeds away, things like that. So, you know, I won't say we're slow starters, but we don't always um, we don't always hit our our peak level. I think until about ten games in. So I just think it'll be a case of a uh, trusting Pep, following yeah. the trend that we've set over the last few seasons. And um, yeah, I'd expect us now. I think that was the final international break, wasn't it, before the World Cup? So yeah. I'd expect yeah. now, yeah, that we sort of kick into gear, especially with the Champions League group games and stuff. Uh, yeah, I think it'll become a natural, a natural thing for the for the players. Yeah, Dan, it, it feels in a weird way, even though City haven't played since that Wolves game, it does feel like they're starting to grow into this season a little bit with the performances. Because as much as there was a good 20, 25 minutes against Wolves where City were on the back foot and Wolves controlled it, City soaked it up. They went down the other end. They scored the goal that that sealed the game. It, it feels like like they're they're kind of maybe moving up from second gear into third at this point and just kind of starting to put the foot on the accelerator. And I'm just wondering how much of it is is like the usual City growing into a season or how much of it is actually, you know, they've got a, a, a fairly new style of play with Haaland coming in and, you know, with, you know, integrating a fair few new players in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think like Adam said, it's been it's been a bit stop-start, which hasn't helped. Um, and I think with the games coming thick and fast now, they will build up that rhythm and we, we will start to see improvements. I mean, it's... I don't think City have been that great in almost every game they've played really this season. Um, and results-wise, it's not been too bad at all. You know, it's only really the Aston Villa draw that I'd say has been a disappointing result for us. I thought the Newcastle draw was just a fair result on the day. And, and you know, apart from that, they've won every game. So it's not a bad position to be in that they've not hit the stride yet. And they've got those results on the board and they're only one point off the, off the league leaders. So... Yeah, I think they are going to grow into it. I think you can see um, that they are getting better at playing with Haaland every week. I think when a feature of the first few games of the season was Haaland was making runs and wasn't getting the passes or there was just a little bit of hesitation, whereas you can see more and more that they're getting used to that idea. You know, um, I think the wings have been... Um, a little bit of a conundrum for Pep so far. I don't think he's quite worked that out yet. I don't think it's helped that Mahrez has been in really poor form and he's been almost trying to play him into a bit of form. And, you know, I wouldn't expect to see Mahrez start in the derby because I just don't think he's, he's earned it in recent weeks. Um, it'll be interesting to see what, what he does go for there. But aside from that, the system isn't that different to, to how it has been in previous seasons. You know, it's still been the two number eights. It's still been Rodri holding things together in, in the midfield. So... Um, yeah, I think it's just a case of uh, of them of them getting a bit warmer and and growing that growing that rhythm every week. Yeah, well, let's talk about the selection for um, the coming games because we'll 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 talk about Copenhagen in a in a few minutes. But uh, I mean, first off, Adam, um, the defense is kind of a bit all over the place at the moment. Stones, uh, we, we've not heard from Guardiola yet, but it, but the way Stones came out of the England game, I can't imagine he's going to be anywhere near fit for this yeah. weekend. Uh, Laporte's just coming back from um, surgery and and unlikely to be thrown straight back in. So that kind of picks the centre back pairing for 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 yourself. Do you reckon with uh, with Diaz and Akanji? Yeah, Diaz is a is a guarantee, and I think Kanji as well. If you're going off 
form in a blue shirt, he'd probably play. And if you're going off form internationally, he'd probably play as well. Because I think he got... Did he get a goal and an assist for Switzerland in the break? I think he you'd, might you'd, have done. You'd think mm-hmm. that'd be something but, I would check before a show just after the yeah. international break, but I haven't, so I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, I saw, it, I saw it on City Extra's feed anyway, so I think he must... Uh, I, I remember seeing it. So, yeah, I think based on that, based on how he's played, um, you know, he's been a good signing so far. He's certainly impressed me, and I think he had a... He had quite a few doubters. I think the only the only black mark really on his game is uh, his aerial dual succession rate. But other than that, like he's got really good like all round stats in the ball, ball progression, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think Akanji and Diaz they pit themselves. Um, Walk is Walker fit? That's the question. He, he played for England, didn't he? So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that, he was yeah, on the bench against Wolves as well, wasn't he? So yeah, he must be. yeah. You'd imagine Walker Cancelo as well. I yeah. would imagine for the back four. Yeah, and then kind of like moving forward, Dan. Um, you mentioned how Rodri's been holding everything together. You, you kind of imagine that the midfield is Rodri, De Bruyne, and somebody. Um, who is that somebody? Do you reckon is it Gundogan, more control, or Bernardo, a bit more energy? Well, I would. I, there was a few times last season when Pep tried to get Gundogan and Bernardo in the same team. And it didn't really work, um, you know, with De Bruyne as well. Uh, I think, you know, Bernardo was used as the false nine. Obviously, that's not an option anymore or, or not, certainly not one that we need to pursue. So my uh, preference would be to go for Gundogan and De Bruyne in the middle and then put Bernardo out on the right wing, uh, cutting in onto his, onto his left foot. Um, I know, you know, people don't like that inverted winger style too much, but... I would also go for Foden out on the left so that he offers that, that width. Um, you know, it's a bit of a shame that Grealish... I was going to say, that, feel, that feels start. really harsh on Grealish then. After he scored, but, you know, that's just the, the way the cookie crumbles sometimes and he's there to come off the bench. Um, so that that would, be, that would be the way I go. I, I, I think Bernardo played there a few times in his first couple of seasons out on the, the right wing and, and wasn't, you know, it wasn't really that suited to him. But I've seen him... Played there a couple of times this this season, and, and I thought he looked quite good. And I, and I think it does give them a bit more, bit more control, a little bit more um, a way to kind of repel the counter attack. So that'll be my preference. But who knows what Pep will go for? He'll probably throw a complete wild card in there, knowing him, won't he? Well, I was going to say the wild cards, Adam, are probably Alvarez or, or Mares. Um, Alvarez, it's a it's a big call to chuck him in. You know, for it, would, it might I, again. This is something I should probably have checked, but it might be his first start. Um, Against uh, against United, if that if that, if that's what he went for, and like Mares out of form at the moment, you'd, you'd think maybe those two from the bench late on. Yeah, absolutely. I think Alvarez and Mares will start against Copenhagen. I think that just makes sense, given that the you know they didn't start against Wolves, and like Dan said, and I think every City fan would agree with Mares's form at the moment's left little to be desired. He's not really done much, but uh, I agree with Dan. I'd play the exact same front six, but I think Pep will play Grealish. I think um, I think he'll go with Foden, Grealish, Haaland, and I think he'll go with Bernardo as well. Um, I think Gundo will be the one who drops out, yeah. but I won't be surprised if it's the other way. But I just think Grealish will play uh, a because his best game in a City shirt last season was the derby at home, and I think the reason that was is because United tend to, or at least he did under Ranić, they leave a lot of space for him to exploit, and that's where he's at his best, he, where he has sort of space to dr- just drive into an area, make something happen. I think that's been the main thing in a City shirt that Grealish has struggled with, really. He's even said it himself, getting the goals and assists. It's like he doesn't want to sort of be that maverick that he was at Villa. Um, and I think playing against United and the way that they defensively set up, it gives him a bit of an opportunity to do that. Um, and I think he rises to the occasion as well because he's got a bit of fire in his belly. So I think I think Grealish will start on the left, um, but I, I would go with the Bernardo-Foden 
Haaland front three. Yeah, and that brings us then to uh, the Champions League and the doubleheader with um, Copenhagen. Dan, this is, I mean, home away as well. It feels like a really, really kind doubleheader, this. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean they're in a great position, aren't they? City in the in the group now, having having won that game against Dortmund. You know, I don't think Sevilla are going to be a, a threat to those top two places. I think it's going to be between City and Dortmund, and and City have, you know, got it's the the balls in their court now. You know, if they can take six points against uh, against Copenhagen, then that's that's twelve points on the board, and and it's 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 done, and they don't even have to worry about the last two games really. You know, they don't have to worry about Dortmund away. Um, which would be, you know, on paper the toughest game they've got left. So, yeah, you would like to think that they will uh, they will try and get the job done quickly. That's usually the way they do things, and uh, and then theoretically they can they can sort of rest players in those those latter two games. But Pep doesn't tend to do that, does he? He tends to, you know, if you look at his team selection, the the Leipzig game, which was the sixth game last season, uh, you know, when Kyle Walker got sent off, he he went for a really strong team there. So. I think he likes to keep that rhythm, but you know it, it would be nice to get the uh, the Champions League uh, group done and dusted as quickly as possible. Yeah, I wonder if the rhythm thing might be different this year, just because of the placement of the World Cup as well. Just just in mm. in in kind of how much pressure could be on the the Premier League games. I mean, like the, the other side of this, Adam, is if City get themselves three points against Copenhagen at home. Um, they've got nine points in the in the group there. They're, they're top of the group. They're pretty much almost through. They just need a couple more points to to, to make sure of it. Um, and when you look at, at the at the Premier League rivals, how they're doing in their Champions League groups, or well, going into this into this game, Liverpool are second in their group, three points off the top. Spurs are second in their group, three points off the top, and Chelsea are bottom of their group, um, albeit you know two points off second and three points off the top. Still, it, it's like City's work is is pretty much done, while the other teams have to focus on two different fronts. As well, yeah, exactly. I think the point mark that you always look for in a Champions League group is really twelve points that gets you through. So I think if we do the double over Copenhagen, that's when you'll start to see him rest. Um, and like you said, I think it bodes well in terms of the league form, but also I think it's being overlooked that we've actually got Chelsea in the Carabao Cup as well, which will be a midweek game. So it'd be good to be able to rest around that as well and be able to put out a strong team and you know get the better of Chelsea, uh, which I think could be the case. So I, I won't be surprised if. We do the double over Copenhagen, um, perhaps rest a bit for Dortmund and then maybe beat Sevilla at home, something like that. But there'll definitely be more rotation as we get later into the group. I think we've seen it. Well, to be fair, well, when I worked at City, I'll I'll just say like a bit of inside info, but you might remember the, so the Leipzig away game, believe it was last, yeah, it was last season. We played Leipzig away and it was a complete dead rubber, but he still went quite strong, Pep. And uh, I think there was a lot of complaints online as to why he'd done it. But uh, the word internally from the club really was that it was he'd been almost instructed to do it because of the prize money for like standings in the group and winning a Champions League fixture. So that might also come into it that because yeah. like basically the amount the amount of money that you get for winning a Champions League game for the business is more than any any FA Cup game bar the final. So it's kind of mind-boggling to think, really. But there's also like a massive financial incentive to win every game. So um, I don't know, maybe you will go strong. But in terms of a game sense perspective and a game management and resting, you would think. And he's done it before at places like Shakhtar away in seasons gone by where he's, he's rotated. I think you will see it. Uh, particularly if we do the double over Copenhagen. Yeah. Money bags, Man City, penny pinching. That's a really <laughs> podcast exclusive there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly that. Uh, right, so time to find out more about this week's Champions League opposition. I've been speaking to David Bastian Muller from Copenhagen Sundays uh, to get an idea of what we can expect. I started by asking how the season was going so far. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. And that just cost uh, coach Jes Torp uh, his job. So actually next Sunday... Uh, 
I guess two, three days before we meet you in Manchester, we'll see our new coach in action, action for the first time. Yeah, just looking uh, looking through the results at the moment. Uh, you know, sitting in uh, in ninth in the in the table. Um, like, what were the hopes at the start of the season? It, it surely wasn't that. Well, FC Copenhagen is the biggest club of uh, Denmark, and we we like to think that we're the biggest uh, club in Scandinavia, and we we are we're born to to be champions and to play in in Europe uh, as we we do this year also. So it's 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 been terrible and it's uh, really really disappointing. And to be honest, uh, last season weren't fantastic uh, either. Uh, we were champions, but uh, only by three points, and the 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 play wasn't uh, fantastic. So so it's not been good. Yeah. What's uh, what do you think's been going wrong? Well, um, as you might know, uh, we had uh, Stole Solbagen as a coach coach for many years in Copenhagen. He's the national coach of, of uh, Norway and uh, one of your players also um, for the national uh, Norwegian team. Um, and uh, and uh, to fill out his shoes was quite a big uh, assignment for, for Jess Torp and it never really uh, went well. Um, and then this season, uh, actually, what what gave the team the championship last year, from my perspective, was uh, the defense. Uh, from going from a, a terrible uh, defense season, that the, the the season before the last one, uh, they they got a hold of it. They had a record-breaking season with 19 uh, clean sheets out of out of uh, 32 in the Superliga and so forth. So it was great uh, defense-wise. And it's been uh, not good uh, th- this season, so so that's one of the reasons. And then also, FC Copenhagen at the moment has uh, difficulties in in scoring uh, goals. We had um, seventeen goals in in ten caps, which is maybe quite all right, but but uh, seven of those fell in, in in two matches. So so also we have a goal scoring problem. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to uh, the midweek game with City, how how do you think they'll uh, they'll approach it? I mean, obviously you've you mentioned that you've uh, you've got a new manager. Um, is that going to change things? Are you expecting a different setup? Well, not really. Um, FC Copenhagen's approach to these big matches uh, are that they should do well, also internationally. Meeting Manchester City, of course, is a great task, especially when we are away. We, I used to say that we can beat any matches in Parken in Copenhagen, but away, that's going to be difficult. I, I spoke to a, a friend that's a huge FC Copenhagen fan the other day, and say, he said if he can keep it down to 5 he he would be happy. <laughs> uh, so, uh, obviously, the defense will be important. And then, of course, uh, the team wants to score. They they don't uh, go to Manchester to lose or to uh, to take a draw. They go to Manchester to win. But of course, uh, if if we can get a goal or two, we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of um, you, you mentioned the defense hasn't been uh, up to scratch recently. Um, is that how you're expecting to play? Pretty much uh, trying to try, trying to get a result from a solid defense. Um, yeah, I I should think so, but but as I told you, we're not going for for just to to um, to keep the catastrophe down or or to 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 take a draw. They're going on the on the, the field to win. So so uh, of course the defense has to be solid, but but also uh, 
uh, offensively they they have to um, they have to do well it's obvious playing manchester city uh, away the, the 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 defense has to be absolutely solid and flawless otherwise it will be we be terrible we are, we're quite aware of that yeah, um, obviously going forward, if you are to, to cause an upset and get a result at the Etihad, um, who are the players that will do it? Well, um, as you might know, we just got uh, Andreas Cornelius, uh, old FC Copenhagen player, came uh, back from, from uh, Trabzonspor, came home to, to Copenhagen. He's been injured for the last matches, but I, I just heard that he should be ready to tra- train tomorrow, uh, Thursday. So we hope uh, he's ready. He's always uh, up for a couple of, of goals. If if he hadn't been injured, he, he would have played uh, Croatia and, and France that uh, you might know uh, the Danish national team just beat uh, a few days ago. So so he's he's not been playing, but but he will be, I hope, uh, in, in the midweek. Um, so so he he'll be scoring goals. Also, we have some uh, some good uh, kickers on on the the um, uh, standard situations like the the free kicks. So so I I sh- a, call, a goal or two I hope for. Yeah. Um. Uh, how 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 does it feel going into this sort of game? Because you look at the at the Champions League group as it is so far. Um. What what would what would you say Copenhagen are aiming for out of this group? Well, it's it. We're meeting some great teams, but but FC Copenhagen has a tradition of doing great in Europe. We are not the team in Denmark that's been taking the the, the great defeats. We we've been doing well. Uh, last time we 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 played um, we played Champions League. We we beat uh, Manchester United. I think we was we were the only team that beat Manchester United that that year almost. Uh, We've been playing draw against FC Barcelona. Uh, so, I mean, FC Copenhagen are used to doing well in Europe as well. But but these teams we're meeting this year are massive. And, and City at the moment, of course, is is the biggest uh, team we could meet. I, I've been saying that I, I have City as the favorite for the for the tournament. So so obviously it's 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 difficult. But but FC Copenhagen will will meet these teams and they will they will go on the pitch as I said to 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 get a, a result. And of obviously a, a draw would be a great result. Yeah. What uh, what what style of play of uh, I mean it, again it's difficult with the with you having recently changed your your manager. But mm-hmm. um, what style of play have have you been seeing a lot this season? Well, actually, it's. <laughs> I think it's been a mess. Uh, it's been hard for the team to get the midfield. Uh, we we had a, 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 a recording yesterday, a live uh, Facebook live, and and my my co-host he 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 put up five uh, of the of the tasks for the coach, and it was defense, midfield, and attacking. So I mean, <laughs> that's uh, three of them. <laughs> so 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 yeah. So I mean. Uh, they have to be. They, the, the midfield has to be, of course, uh, be brilliant. The, the defense—it's uh, the same defense that that played brilliantly last season. So, so hopefully they will get it to work in, in Manchester. Yeah, and uh, just finally, David, um, we've got a charity back coming up a bit later on in the show. Um, I, I give my prediction over to our guests. So, what's your score prediction for this game? Well, I have to be uh, positive in mind. So I'll say uh, 2-2. 
If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was David Bastian Muller from the Copenhagen Sundays podcast. Um, I mean, it's interesting, Dan, to hear him say basically, uh, the, you know, my first question, how's the season going? And his answer is terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, immediately I, I was like, OK, a bit more confidence there then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not... I, 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 try and, I try not to be too cocky when it comes to the Champions League these days, but the group stage has become a bit of a formality for City in recent years, hasn't it? And it was when the draw was made for this one, I thought, OK, there's a couple of tricky ties there. You know, Sevilla might be might be a bit of a threat and, and they were awful when we played against them. Uh, Dortmund were OK, but, you know, we got, the, we got the job done at the end. And I think that game was more about City being really poor yeah. and Copenhagen don't look a good side at all. So it should be, you know, easy six points, this really. It doesn't always pan out like that. Um, we'll see how it goes, but... The Champions League really for City only gets interested and difficult once you get to the quarterfinals. If we get that far, yeah. and yeah, I don't like I say I don't mean to sound cocky, but it seems like we don't really have to worry about getting out of this group, do we? It's done yeah. already. Just, really, ju- just yeah. got to got to avoid Leon and Wigan, and everything is, is, <laughs> is going all right. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Adam, are there, are there any players that you'd like to get a little bit of a chance across these? Uh, maybe not the first game because City still, you know, it's it's only two games in, and, and City want to get want to take full control of the group. But by the time you get to the second game, I'm wondering how much you might start to see uh, involvement of players like Alvarez, for instance. You said you thought he'd, he'd start, but also Cole Palmer. Yeah, he was who I was going to say because I think it's a very hot take now, but I. I would definitely start the phasing out process of Mahrez and the phasing in process of Palmer, much like we've seen with Foden and sort of your your Silvers or, well, I guess Sane sort of did his ACL in Foden's breakthrough season, so that sort of aided him. But I'd like to see a bit of a phasing out, a bit of a changing of the guard now, because I think Palmer's ready. I think he's got so many attributes to his game. He's a great striker with a ball he can take on, and he bet he rarely loses the ball. Um, good on both feet. I think with Mahrez sometimes... He sort of almost know what he's going to do or what side he wants to cut into. Whereas Palmer, he sort of got that chop and change onto his right foot as well, which is really deadly. So um, I'd like to see Palmer get a couple of games. And also, he's already scored in the Champions League. Let's not forget, Club Bruges away last season came on, cut inside, scored, scored a similar goal to Wickham. So um, and then scored against Swindon as well, which was a great finish. So he's already had a few goals. And like I said last season, Prem soon comes, so he'll, he'll probably get his <laughs> Premier League goal as well. So, uh, yeah, I think Cole Palmer would be the one that I'd want to see come in. Um, I think we'll see a bit more of Gomez as well, who obviously started at Sevilla, but I'd, I won't be surprised if he actually starts in the first Copenhagen game. That won't surprise me at all. Yeah, um, if he's, so if he's th- trusted for that second Champions League game, he should be yeah. trusted for this one, shouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we'll see him again. Yeah. Um, on the on the other side of the fence, Dan, um, are there any players that you'd like to see given a rest? And there's one name that is kind of like <laughs> in the sirens right now is Erling Haaland because I, I'm like as much as I want to see him play every minute of every game, um, you do have to be very aware that you don't want it. You don't want to run him into the ground. No, you don't want him to get injured because you know I do think his goals have papered over the cracks a little bit for City this season and have really helped us get through some games where we haven't been too great. So you don't want him to get injured for any length of time, really. I think it's probably inevitable that it's going to happen sometimes. You just hope that it's not uh, something that plagues him throughout the season. Obviously, he's going to get the rest off during the World Cup. So um, for all the big games, then then definitely he's, he's first name on the team sheet. But for, for the likes of Copenhagen, you know, maybe even the, the Carabao Cup game against Chelsea, you'd, you'd put him on the bench, I would say. And you, you want to, I want to know what City looked like without him again, actually. I want to see what Alvarez can do as the central striker or 
whether we can slot back into that false nine formation, um, I think we need to know that. We need to be aware that it's probably something that we're going to have to rely upon at some point. So um, I would definitely have him on the bench for Copenhagen, I would say. Yeah. Right, well, we're raising money for the Man City Fans Food Bank support group on the charity bet again this season. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single with the winnings going to the group who are helping the Trussell Trust support people in food poverty in Manchester. We've raised £205 so far this season. The group, again, will be outside the Etihad ahead of the Manchester Derby collecting donations of non-perishable food and money, so please go and give them a visit if you can. They'll be under the bridge by Asda from about 11.30 right up until about 1.30 before the game on Sunday. Um, let's get you predictions on the board then for this one we heard earlier on for uh, the derby that uh, Jay was going for a 2-0 optimistic United win uh, and boy is it optimistic because if it happens it'll add 500 pounds into the kitty it's 50 <laughs> to 1 um, Adam I'm going to start with you what are you going for for this one 3-1 City nice Three, and solid nice and solid 3-1 City 10 to 100 pounds job done um, Dan I'm going to go 3-2 very uh, tight tense 3-2 3-2. Uh, in many ways, I hope that it's a, a game where City are 3-0 up and United 2 come in like 95 and 97, uh, because then it's not been tense <laughs> at all, and it'll add 220 quid into the kitty with uh, with a 22-1 to shot. Um, that brings us to Copenhagen. Dan, I'm going to start with you. What are you having? 4-0 City. 4-0 City. Comfortable. It's 13-2 to and uh, £65 if you're right. Adam? I've gone 4-1. Inexplicable conceded goal, but we'll still get the job done. Yeah, that uh, that uh, really does boost the odds because it's fourteen to one and one hundred and forty pounds if you're right. And if David was right and his uh, supremely optimistic two-two uh, comes true, then it's forty-five to one and four hundred and fifty pounds if he's right. Remember, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Time to finish this week's show with some listener questions. Um, get in touch for future shows on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can also email us as well through the website. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com and fill in the form there. Uh, that's what Steve O'Brien has done. He says, I must admit that I've been lax in keeping up with the progress of James McAtee. I admit I'm a Premier League snob and hardly look below, but I see that Sheffield United are top of the table. How much do you know about how he's doing and how much he's been a part of their success thus far? Um, well, the truth is, Steve, uh, we don't know, because just like you, I am a bit of a Premier League snob and I don't really look below. <laughs> um, so I, I thought what I'd do is find out from a man who does. This is our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn. I put your question to him. Uh, this is what he said. When it comes to James and Sheffield United, I don't think it's going very well at the moment. He's, he's, he's got seven appearances, but it's all bit part at the moment for the team. He's, he's played 212 minutes, which equates to about, I think, two and a half games. But in reality, it's three starts, one in the Sweet Carabao, one which they lost, one where they beat uh, 10 men and he looked, to be fair, really good. And one where he was hooked at half-time after an appalling performance for Tommy Doyle, of all people. There was a lot of concerns when he moved to Sheffield United originally about the manager, Paul Hackingbottom, and the style of football he plays and whether he'd fit in. And unfortunately, so far, it seems to have come true. He, When he plays, he doesn't play well. He doesn't seem to fit in. He doesn't seem to suit the style of play that the manager wants. And on the back of that, he's only playing cameo roles for England under-21s, which for a player who's about to turn 20, with all the talent he is, it's a bit concerning. Um, the question says that Sheffield United are top of the league at the moment, which is which is great because the experience of, of winning for apprentices in a results-based business is fantastic. But his involvement in that is minimal. 
and it's very debatable whether he's going to continue to actually be involved in that because he hasn't been so far, as far as I'm concerned. He's not troubled the scorers in either column so far. He looked really good in that game versus, I think it was against Luton, where they went down to 10 men and he looked fantastic. <laughs> he looked really good. He looked as good as he did in the reserves league for the last two years. But the problem is there's been nothing other of note so far. I've been a big banger of the uh, James McAtee drum for uh, a number of years now. And I think he's a fantastic footballer. But at the moment, I am very concerned about his progress at Sheffield United. It's good that the top of the league and it's good that he's getting winning football, but he's not getting much of it. And if it carries on like that, I think they will have to look at it in January and possibly move him on to somewhere that plays football that suits him. Like I say, he was replaced by Tommy Doyle in that in that particular game. So maybe maybe there's something that he's missing that he needs to refine slightly. But like I say, it's it's not gone well so far. That was Sean Blinkhorn talking about James McAtee. Um, that brings us on to the second question. Sam Kelly on Twitter says, uh, obviously we'd all love Pep to stay forever, but if his time were to end at the end of the season, who would you like as a replacement? Um, this is a question, Dan, that I am really, really scared of the answer because I don't <laughs> think there is a good replacement, no matter how good you know, no matter how good anybody is. I don't think you're going to like the only way is down surely afterwards. Oh, 100%. Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a drop-off there for sure. It's a question that's keeping me awake at night as well. I hope to God those rumours that were knocking around last week about him signing a new deal are true because it's, it's something I don't really want to contemplate either. Um, I just don't really know who's out there. I mean, if if Eric Ten Hag hadn't gone to United, I might have said he'd be a good option. Obviously, that's not going to happen now. Um, maybe they'll they'll look internally. Maybe they'll give it to like Enzo Maresca, Pep's assistant, or somebody like that. Um, Nagelsmann's the one I that's be always hugely enthusiastic about. Suggested. I mean, he's having he's having a bad time of it at Bayern at the moment, though. He's yeah. not done particularly well there at all, really. So whether that you know he could make a difference if whether it would make a difference if he came to City, I don't know. One name that. I would be quite enthusiastic about if it happened, but not entirely confident that it would be a success, would be Angie Postacoglu from Celtic. I just think he's a great bloke, um, plays good football, really good talker. You know, I don't know if that's if he's on City's radar at all, but if I was making the decision, I would probably go for him. Yeah, well, here's a, here's a thought as well, Adam, from uh, Marcus Lowe, uh, who says, this is pure international break hypothetical. If Pep said he needs a year off, would you give him a sabbatical? So one year off and then he signs a contract <laughs> for the three years after that um, and just yeah. appoint somebody in the interim? Or like, do you think there'd be, there'd be long or short-term consequences of that? Uh, mm, no, nah, not really. I think if we signed, a, if we got a similar profile in, uh, perhaps we won't win the league. You know, maybe we could use it to prove Keys and Gray wrong and maybe get Big Sam in and prove that he actually can't do it with Pep's players. <laughs> but, like, we could, uh, you know, we could... I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's... The thing is, with Pep, he's a trendsetter, so there's so many coaches that want to emulate what he does that there's actually... There's so many coaches out there at every level, really, that 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 want to sort of fit his mould. So I'm sure... I actually think... I don't think it'll be the crisis that City fans think it'll be. Obviously, we're never going to hit the the extreme heights again, but I think we're definitely going to stay at the top of the league and challenging every year. No doubt about that. Um, but like you know, if yeah, I'd let yeah. The answer is I would let him take a sabbatical. But if I had an ideal, idealistic appointment to answer the first question, it'd be Arteta. Yeah. Any day well, of the week. Well, here's here's a thought, Dan. Uh, how about like like Guardiola gets his sabbatical and his year off, uh, and we get Kevin Keegan on the blower for a year. 
<laughs> do it yeah why can not can you imagine why the that'd hell just not? be fun wouldn't it <laughs> yeah we'd probably win every game 7-6 or something with this team but uh, yeah it'd be it'd be fantastic uh, Keegan was uh, he, he deserves another crack at it but I think he's uh, he's he's retired gracefully now hasn't he I don't think he's going to be tempted back into football unfortunately oh, you never know you never know City on the blower with all the <laughs> with, with, with the resources he's got there for uh, for a year um, Cypress Preet on Twitter says uh, what do you think the chances of City signing Jude Bellingham are next season now that we have early Harland, um, Adam. Like, does this sort of stuff actually happen? Like, like the you know the, the sort of oh come and join your mate here at this club because you're a good player. Because all I'm thinking of is it's like Mares um, was was spotted with Harland on uh, on holiday last summer, and then suddenly or, or the summer before, and then suddenly he was signing. Like, it, it's it's just fluke, isn't it? It doesn't happen, does it? No, it does. <laughs> it definitely does. Um, 100%. And the thing is with City as well, it's not like it's not like Haaland's at Bolton Wanderers going, oh, come and join me at Bolton. It's great. You know, it's, it's Man City with a, you know, with a be- we're arguably the best team in the world, playing the best football in the world with the best results year on year and level of consistency and style of play. So we've got everything going for us. The best facilities, you know, the best group of players to play around and grow your game, develop your game. So... Yeah, and him and, you know, uh, Bellingham and Haaland are mates, so they absolutely have had the discussion. Like, imagine, you know, if I was a world-class footballer and one of my best mates was also a world-class footballer, I'd be telling him about what my new place of work is like. Of course I would, and I'd be I'd be WhatsApping him and telling him how good it is and, you know, how good KDB is and all, all these sort of things. So it, it, it definitely happens. I think it definitely happened with Grealish to an extent as well. I think a few lads sort of knew of him and were, were you know encouraging him to sort of make the move happen. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's common. Um, whether the club are going to shell out the money for him and uh, are interested in him is another question. Yeah. Do you see it, Dan? Because just looking at, uh, at City's midfield options, um, like th- this is one of those things where they could end up in a position where suddenly they've got a load of players who are over 30 and, and like they suddenly need a bit of youth in there. Uh, Bellingham next summer, you know, if Guardiola sticks around as well, might be a viable option, do you think? Yeah, he'd be an incredible signing for us, but I think we're going to be competing with a lot of clubs for him. I think it's going to be kind of similar to Haaland, that he'll he'll go where he wants to go. Everyone will want him. Um, everyone who can afford him will want him, and he'll have, he'll have a choice of several clubs, and we'll be competing with Liverpool, with Real Madrid, uh, maybe Barcelona, maybe United, uh, maybe Chelsea. So if he sees City as the best project for this step in his career, then I think he would he would come to us for sure. I don't know how much Haaland's influence would have. I'd imagine the Guardiola influence would be massive for, for transfer targets. You know, a lot of players will have come to want to play to play under him. So hopefully, you know, Pep signs a new deal and we sign Jude Bellingham and, and everything looks rosy for the future. But there's another universe where Big Sam's the manager and, and Bellingham doesn't <laughs> want to come. So, yeah. 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 Um... Uh, final question then for this week comes from Contemplative Jesus on Twitter, who says, uh, what's the best 11 right now? What does Pep do once Laporte and Walker are healthy? Do Stones or Ake ever get in the team after that? Um, now, I'm not going to ask you to sit and run through uh, what the best 11 is, um, but it's it's kind of a, it is an interesting question that kind of gets to the heart of the fact that maybe City are a bit overstacked in defence, or, or maybe also the, the, the other side is true, and actually we should just expect two City defenders to be injured at all times. I could tell you what I think the best 11 is. What I will say is I think Stones is our best centre-half. I've always yeah. thought it. I think he's got he's got the most to his game. He's the best ball carrier. He's got the best passing range, maybe bar Laporte. Um, I think he's reading the game superb. So he starts. I don't think it's a question of whether he gets in. In my ideal team, he gets in on merit because he's, yeah. he's earned it. Um, Ake and Stones are also sort of auxiliary full-backs. Like Stones has played right-back quite a bit. Ake can play left-back. 
Um, you know, our yonks ago, Laporte used to play left back as well a few years back. So, you know, it, we've got left back, uh, left back, we've got centre halves who are also flexible across the back four. So I think we'll see often this season that three of the five centre backs actually play in the back line. Um, so there's plenty of room for rotation. And look, as the games get more thick and thin, and also let's not let's not kill ourselves. They're not all going to be fit at the same time. So some of them are going to be injured. I think we're seeing that now with what's happened to Stones. So um, I, I wouldn't say we're overstats. I think it was actually a very sensible thing to sign a Kanji. I think it really was. It was precautionary. Um, but also he's a top quality player. So yeah, the one who I'd like to see get a bit more game time and get fit now is Calvin Phillips because I keep forgetting he even exists. <laughs> like it's just one of them where like, you know, you want him to get over this operation, this shoulder problem, then hopefully he can get a run of games. Yeah, he's, so, had, a real, he's had a real bad run, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, Dan, in terms of uh, maybe maybe ahead of the centre backs, then in that case, uh, we touched on the the, the kind of the, the situation with the midfield with the Bellingham question, um, but also it, it kind of struck me that you know aside from in the midfield three, aside from the question being Gundogan or Bernardo, there's not really a lot of other options there at the moment in the centre of midfield. No, I mean I would one day love to see Jack Grealish give it a run out in that one of those number eight positions, either alongside De Bruyne or, in, or instead of De Bruyne, if De Bruyne's not fit or something. But that just doesn't seem like it's going to happen, really, which was something that was doing the rounds when we signed him, that that was talked about as a possibility. I think it is an option. I think Foden playing in the middle is an option as well, instead of having him out on the flanks all the time. That would be another interesting one. You know, you could even see Cole Palmer playing there. Um, and looking to, towards like next summer, you know, I wonder if this might be Gundogan's last season and the Bernardo Silva to Barcelona rumours aren't going to go away. I think that one's going to be a feature of next summer's transfer window again as well. So there's a possibility that we might lose one of those two and have to bring someone in. But yeah, I, th- I think the, the squad is pretty well balanced, actually. Um, you know, th- I, would, I would maybe still like to, like to see us bring in another wide player at some point because I, I think, you know, as as, uh, as Adam mentioned earlier, maybe it's time to start phasing Mara's out and um, and obviously bringing Cole Palmer in, but then you would like another option out there. Someone like maybe Rafael Leal from AC Milan has been really impressive whenever I've seen him play. That might, might be one to look out for, but... At the moment, I think we've got you know a good squad. I don't have too many concerns about it at all. Nice balance, yeah. Mm. Uh, right, so that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much to my guests, to Adam Monk. You're welcome. And Dan Burke. Always a pleasure. Join me next week to review whatever happens in this week's Manchester Derby. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. His daughter Chelsea had just said, look, it's been a a lucky mascot of the previous game or something because she had it with her. She suggested putting it on her. Yeah, she's probably like eight or nine at the time. She suggested her dad took it with him to the touchline. That's that's sweet. It's not. I don't think he's truly basing his tactics and match. Uh, you know, uh, he's, I don't think he's truly sat there thinking, "I oh, will win now" because I've put a, a toy on the on the touchline. Touch it's, yeah. it's a sweet family moment. That's all, which he gets ridiculed for again. But ultimately, it's irrelevant, is it not? So, yeah. The home form was keeping us our heads above water, but when we at Christmas we lose at home to Tottenham and Bolton uh, with a red card for Barton, it kind of unravels a bit because you kind of de- well I say that then we suddenly our away form picks up, so it's yeah. a strange season in a way. You know, it's 
It is. It stands out as the worst season, but it's not that terrible. Depends how what you want to compare it with. You know, everything around it and everything that follows. It's obviously a bad season, and it stands out because the entertainment value kind of peters away, does it not? I remember Neil Warnock brought his own Beanie Baby toy uh, for the 0-0 <laughs> draw uh, against Sheffield United when... Um, uh, just not to be outdone by Stuart Pearce. And, I've, and I also remember Joey Barton mooning the Everton fans. Um, ah, yes. Yeah. And uh, Nicky Weaver needing to help him pull his shorts back up. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode.